Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth, and I'm here today with Troy Augustine. Before we get started, I'll just give everyone a reminder of what's going to be coming up next week. On Thursday, we're going to have Dr. John Turk Logan from Logan Communications. He is a radio expert uh, coming to us from uh, Dayton, and uh, he's going to be sharing some of his interesting business insights and, and ideas with us. On Friday, a week from today, we're going to have Dave Bellows, and this is going to be an unusual show because we're actually going to take apart stalls and objections. Those of you in sales or who manage sales teams uh, may be bothered by the fact that you don't get a deal when you hear a stall or an objection from the prospect. Well, Dave is an experienced Sandler President's Club member, probably the most experienced guy in Cincinnati. Now, someone will step forward and prove me wrong about that. Uh, but Dave became uh, involved in Sandler in the 80s, and he's agreed to handle both live calls on stalls and objections and questions that you email into us. So if you have a stall or objection that drives you crazy, email it into me, Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net, and we'll put it in the agenda for next week's show. Uh, the following week, we're going to have Trent McCracken who's a successful entrepreneur here in Cincinnati, and his newest company, eHealth Solutions, is winning all kinds of awards. And Friday of next week, we're going to have a another special guest, one of our Black Belt Presidents Club members, Phil uh, Wiseman. And let's see. Still time to register for next Wednesday's uh, Cold Call Camp. That's an all-day event. Uh, normal list price on that is $5.95 if you tell Carmen... When you call in that it's that you heard about it on the radio show, she'll give you a hundred dollar instant discount. Uh that runs all day on Wednesday the twenty ninth. And you can call or look at our website, RothConsulting.net, to get the complete details on that program. Now, uh Troy, thanks again for uh joining us here today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Let me tell the folks a little bit about you. Uh, Troy is a uh, director and president of and CEO of iNet Interactive, a social media company operating prominent online communities for technology professionals and technology enthusiasts. In this role, Troy oversees all business functions, including sales, marketing, product management, and business development. Troy holds an MBA from Stanford Graduate School of Business as well as a master's degree in engineering from Stanford School of Engineering. 
He holds an undergraduate degree in engineering from the University of Kansas, where he serves on their advisory board. So naturally, Troy, my first question for you is, how long have you lived here in the Cincinnati market? I've been, this is my second stint, if you will, in the Cincinnati market. I've been here uh, for about six years for this stint. And uh, prior to moving to California to go to graduate school, I lived here for about five years. And I guess the story is I met my wife in that first five-year period. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the uh, one of the main reasons I'm back here in the area. Ah, okay. Uh, I've heard that story many times over the last 20 years that I've lived here. <laughs> People move away, and they can only stay out away if you're a native for two years, and then the, the passport expires, and they have to move back to town. Uh, that's a uh, an interesting anomaly, or at least for me, because I've lived and worked all over the United States. Uh, why don't you tell uh, our audience, uh, Troy, a little bit about more about your your company and, and and how you got started and maybe even about the prior company that you were involved with. Okay, sure. So, INET Interactive um, is a web-centric uh, special interest media company. So, what does that mean? Uh, you know, first and foremost, we're a media company. So, just like a magazine publisher, uh, we own a portfolio of titles that serve different special interests. And we generate revenue from advertising, from subscriptions, and from events, so trade shows, conferences, et cetera. Uh, the difference between us and a traditional media company like a magazine publisher is that rather than these titles being focused or centered around a print publication, they're centered around a website. So you don't actually have a paper publication. That That is correct. Like the business courier or or uh, the old Datamation magazine. That, that's correct. It's, it's centered around the website, and we grow uh, grow from there. Now we do do uh, you know physical events, conferences, trade shows, training sessions, and the like. But uh, again, it, it centers around websites. So, how many trade shows a year does Inet uh, put on? Yeah, what are they? Yeah, so uh, we're in four major vertical markets, all technical in nature. Uh, we have a big presence uh, serving the web hosting industry. Uh, the second big uh, market is the data center industry. Both of those markets are high growth uh, markets. Uh, high growth. High growth, right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the, the end market for web hosting and the end market for data centers are growing at uh, 15 plus percent annually. Really? Uh, I've heard a a story from a web hosting company that they're seeing uh, up to a 4% degradation in market uh, for pure hosting, and the only way they're going to survive long-term is by moving into cloud computing. Right, right, right. It depends on how you define the market. If you define the market largely enough to include cloud managed services such as managed email and disaster recovery and, and so forth, uh, that's a growth market. There are certain segments like shared hosting within that big umbrella that certainly are under pressure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how many trade shows do you do? Well, uh, really three major ones. Uh, one called HostingCon, which is the largest trade show and conference for the web hosting industry. And then twice a year we hold an event called Data Center World, which is the largest uh, trade show and conference for the data center industry. So uh, when and where are these shows uh, put on? 
they move around the country. Uh, uh, our last show for HostingCon was in Boston uh, in July, and we've got a data center world coming up in Nashville in October. Uh, Opryland Hotel? At the uh, Gaylord, that's correct. Okay, good. Great cities. And it's an interesting idea that you move around. Yeah, it's, uh, it becomes a bit of a destination or a bit of a uh, vacation, if you will, for the attendees in addition to actually attending the event. So we, we do move it around. Sure. And uh, how many attendees do you typically come up with at these technical shows? Yeah, it it, uh, it depends on the show and, and, and uh, so forth. But uh, with HostingCon, we're usually around 2,000 attendees. Data Center World is roughly the same size, uh, depending on the time of year and location. Mm-hmm. And completely different audiences. Yes. So web hosting are the uh, the web hosting industry, usually C-level executives uh, from the industry. The Data Center World conferences are uh, data center uh, professionals and facility managers who run uh, data centers typically for Fortune 1000 companies. Interesting. I didn't even know those shows were going on. And how did you come up with the idea of uh, INET Interactive? Well, I, I was uh, in California going to graduate school, joined an Internet startup, so I was exposed to the Internet as part of that. After we uh, sold that company, I moved back to Ohio and was looking for something something to do. And uh, I decided rather than do a startup, I wanted to acquire a small business that, that I could grow. And mm-hmm. I started looking at... All sorts of opportunities, uh, manufacturing, distribution, you name it. And I kept coming back to the Internet. It had a lot of the fundamentals that I was looking for in terms of uh, the growth rates um, and the uh, diverse customer base and, and some other characteristics that I felt were attractive. I ultimately found a little company called INET Interactive located in Kansas City. We acquired it. Uh, myself and a group of investors. We relocated it here to the area, and uh, we've been growing it ever since. And and when did you acquire the company? It was uh, the end of 2005, Mm -hmm. so uh, just over, uh, well, coming up on six years. And were they doing the same thing that that you're doing now? Uh, For the most part, on a much smaller scale. So we're about 10 times the size we were in 2006, and we're in many different markets. We added the trade show bit, but largely the same same business as. How many employees do you have now? Uh, we're at uh, 52 employees. Okay, it's pretty pretty good size, uh, small business. It is, and you know, one unique thing about that is um, uh, we are largely a virtual company. We have an uh, headquarters in Westchester mm-hmm. with about 22 of those people. Uh, we've got a couple of small satellite offices. Uh, Toronto, Canada, Seattle, Orange County, but many of our employees work from home offices around the country, and uh, that's just the nature of the internet business that we're in. I think we've developed some uh, core competencies around how to manage that kind of business. Uh, it certainly is a little bit different from what most people are exposed to. Okay, and uh, why don't you tell our listeners again about some of the uh, honors and awards that you've won? Well, I think uh, just just this week, we uh, announced that we were named to the Inc. 5000 fastest growing company list for the fifth straight year, and that's uh, one that I'm, I'm quite proud of. We've never been 
uh, near the top of that list, but we've been on that list uh, for five straight years, and, and to me that's more important than, uh, than than being at the top. And hopefully we can continue that for the next next several years. We've also been named uh, by the Cincinnati Business Courier as one of the best places to work in Cincinnati for the past uh, two years. So we, again, hope to keep that record going as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Uh- I've got a, lo- a lot more questions for you, but uh, we're going to take a, a short break. And if any of the listeners want to call in and ask Troy a question, we'll be able to screen the calls during this commercial break coming up. It'll be about two minutes. The number to call is 646-595-4916. 646-595-4916. And we'll be back in about two minutes. Company, Company owned sales managers. Management. Are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are we hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is, they're salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Raw, at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. Finding power in reinforcement. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Troy Augustine. Uh, Troy, uh, maybe you could share with our listeners... Uh, how your company goes to market in the various markets that you serve. Sure. So in the publishing business, there's sort of two sides to the coin. You've, you've got to build an audience, and then you've got to find advertisers and sponsors who want to reach that audience. So, uh, you know, on the audience building side, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's fairly uh, technical in terms of the techniques used around search engine optimization, social media, and so forth to uh, promote our brands and to uh, attract people to uh, the content we produce. 
So that uh, that's that side of the coin. You know, it, it's about generating great content that's com- compelling and engaging, and getting that out into the social media channels and into the search engines to drive uh, to drive traffic. On the uh, the flip side of the coin, driving advertisers and sponsors. Um, you know, we've served very specific special interest uh, uh, topics. And within those, there are what are called endemic advertisers. In other words, those advertisers who naturally belong uh, alongside that content. So if mm-hmm. we are serving data center managers, there are uh, many companies who sell services and products to the data center managers who want to reach them. That's hardware, software, uh, air conditioners, racks. Yeah, raised flooring systems, et cetera, et cetera. So our sales team focuses on identifying those endemic advertisers mm-hmm. and, and making contact and, and building a relationship. Um, and most of that is done uh, via the telephone, although we do have opportunities uh, at various trade shows and conferences, ours as well as others, to, to make uh, face-to-face contact with those prospective advertisers. So In the magazine world, uh, whether it's uh, Cincinnati Magazine or the Business Courier, the circulation is uh, audited. Uh, so advertiser knows how many uh, real readers the uh, publication has. How is that done for uh, you on the web, or how do you do it? I think the web has taken it uh, to a whole new level. Uh, not only do we know how many readers we have, we know how many ad impressions we've delivered, uh, the advertiser knows how many times those ads have been clicked on, and if they're selling a product over the Internet, they know how many times that product's been purchased as a result of that advertising. So the trackability and accountability to the advertiser is at a whole new level uh, when you're advertising on the Internet as opposed to in print. And frankly, that's been one of the drivers for the growth of the Internet is that in these tough economic times, if a chief marketing officer has the choice between putting an ad in print where they can't necessarily show results to an ad on the Internet where they can prove that it's working, they're going to choose what they can prove. Yes, I understand that completely. Sam has placed uh, more than a few ads that that don't work, (laughs) including a couple of million dollars on golfer shirts. I know the Sandler guys won't like it, but I don't think two or three seconds of John Rollins' shirt that says Sandler Training does much for us. <laughs> My phone doesn't ring because of that. Yeah. Now, there's clearly still uh, a value to building a brand. And I think in some cases, the Internet, Internet publishers and, inter- and advertisers on the Internet have taken it too far to the, to the point that it's all about direct marketing. There is clearly a value to getting your name out there and, and, and building a brand. But in these tough economic times, if it's a choice between brand building versus direct response marketing, uh, most people are tending towards direct response marketing. Yes, it tends to make a lot more sense. How many salespeople does your company have? Oh, we currently have seven salespeople. Okay. Are they all employees of the company? They are. They are. Um, uh, half the staff is, is here in the Cincinnati area in our Westchester office. Uh, the other staff is uh, scattered about the country. So as I mentioned, one of the things I think we uh, become good at is working with these virtual teams, and and uh, so that's three and a half guys in in Cincinnati, right? And well, three yeah. and a half scheduled all over the rest of yeah. the United States, kind of just like the card. Yes, that's correct. We, I, I am an engineer, and uh, I do a little rounding in my numbers. Okay, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, everyone knows about the three and a half <laughs> clubs. 
Do you use any uh, marketing or sales partners where you have agencies that sell your uh, services? Yeah, on occasion. um, You know, we we try to sell as much as we can directly, uh, but in the publishing world, you have this idea of remnant inventory, the unsold inventory, and we use uh, services that will fill that for us at a lower rate than what we're able to sell direct. So at one of these uh, trade shows that you're running where you have two or 3,000 people coming to the show, how many trade show booths do you manage to sell? Uh, it's in the, on the order of 200, 250. So, so it's a nice size show. Yeah, it's a nice size show. It's not one of the old Comdex shows. No, not. Maybe someday we'll get there. But these are, uh, I'm fair, not sure if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> these are niche markets, and we feel like we're the you know one of the largest, if not the largest, um, uh conference in those markets, and, and that's where we like to be. Mm-hmm. So you're the chief sales officer, and you you get pulled into individual sales transactions by your people? No, we've got a, a very good VP of sales, Kelly Kleiner, who uh, does a great job of managing that team. I rarely get pulled into individual transactions. Okay. Uh, is your role primarily planning, strategy, yeah, I would say. I mean, the way I view my role is, uh, you know, first and foremost on the people side, making sure we've got the right people in the right places, mm-hmm. making sure we've got the structure of the organization right, and making sure we have the right culture in place. Um, you know, we have grown through acquisition, so that brings a, a whole challenge around bringing people on board with the culture and the way we like to do things. You say you've grown through acquisition. Have you done a second acquisition besides when you bought iNet Interactive? Yeah, mo- most of uh, the brands that we've tacked on to the platform are via acquisition. So we've done uh, 12 acquisitions over the last five years. Wow, that should make you an expert in acquisitions. We certainly have learned some lessons along the way. Okay. Uh, as you look at the marketplace today, uh, some people say the marketplace is uh, getting easier. Some people say it's getting harder. What do you think it is? Uh, I mean, in the general sense, uh, you know, I think the uh, economy is kind of stagnant, but uh, we've been fortunate to be serving higher growth markets. I mentioned the data center space and the web hosting space. Both of them are growing nicely, and we've been fortunate to be serving those markets. So you're in a growth segment. That's correct. Good. Why don't you tell us, our audience, what you think the possibilities uh, are in that market space uh, Internet. Well, I mean, there's so much momentum behind the Internet in general. Um, you know, the uh, we're starting to see sort of the third generation of, of Internet applications now. Uh, software as a service is, is a given. Uh, we were just talking before the, the show about our the CRM systems we use. I mean, the, the fact that we've got a team scattered about the country, uh, an Internet-based CRM system is the only way that we can do business. Sure. You're using uh, Salesforce.com. That, that's right. Good. And if you looked at some of our earlier guests, we have a Salesforce.com expert uh, who has done an hour with us. You might want to go back and listen to his show. <laughs> I will. Uh, and, and actually, Salesforce.com uh, has been so popular that it's one of the three uh, strongest supported uh, Sandler Salesforce uh, uh, automation products. Right. We have a complete Sandler overlay for that. 
which makes your sales manager's job or VP of sales a lot, a lot easier. Um, do you see any obstacles in the marketplace to your growth? I think the biggest thing in our business, being an Internet-based publisher, is just the changing technology. Uh, you know, we've got to uh, move at a very rapid pace as new technologies come on board. You know, uh, when we started this, social media didn't exist the way we know it today with Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and so forth. That's just a given that we need to be uh, in those channels. Uh, you know, you've got new uh, social media um, outlets coming on board, like Google Plus and Foursquare, and you name it. We've got to stay on top of that. So that's that's one of the biggest challenges that we have as a business is staying on top of the emerging technologies. So you probably have uh, quite a few people in your company who are assigned to social media, whether it's Google Plus or Foursquare. Right. We definitely have social uh, media marketers who. Uh, do nothing but market via those channels. Hmm. So that would make you guess that you have a pretty low average age of employees in your company. Uh, yeah, I mean we've got a full spectrum, but I'd say the average is is on the low end. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk to your your prospects or your people talk to your prospects, what do you think they're looking for in a uh, web publishing company like you? you know, at, at the end of the day, as we talked earlier, it's about performance. So ROI. Yeah, ROI, exactly. So if I'm going to spend $5,000, am I going to make you know, $7,500 plus in return? Um, and you know, the results, to, to a large extent, speak for themselves. Do you have a way to show that to people? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it depends on the sophistication of the client in terms of how far they track through the clicks that we drive to their website, all the way through leads that their salespeople can then follow up on. But if their systems are in place and running smoothly, they can tie it back to the ad that they ran with us. That's great. Uh, we had uh, the CEO of Thinkvine uh, on the show earlier, and he's got a system, a modeling system, which is probably not applicable to you, but it's designed for packaged good companies mm-hmm. to figure out where to, to make their advertising spend to maximize their ROI. Uh, you're getting the ROI directly from clicks. That's right. And, you know, if they, if we don't perform, we certainly hear about it and, and make adjustments to uh, optimize the client's campaign and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, at any one time, roughly how many clients do you serve? Yeah, it's uh, somewhat unique in our business. Uh, I, I just looked up this number this morning. We've over the last 12 months, done business with 4,000-plus clients. Wow, 4,000 clients. It's a big number. It is a big number. Now, uh, some of those are, are uh, uh, direct accounts where our salespeople are interacting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also offer a number of self-serve products. So uh, many of those clients may be going to a website and, and, and making their orders without necessarily interacting directly with the salesperson. Okay, so I can place an ad on a cloud computing uh that internet magazine directly on the web without actually talking to a live human being. Yeah, you can. Internet. That's that's correct. That's that's good technology. Good technology. Uh, before we go forward, let's take a another short break, Troy, and we'll be listening to a Sandler rule. We'll listen to Sandler rule number fourteen. If you if you have any questions for Troy, you can call in on six four six. 
Hi, I'm Bob Sinton of Sandler Training. I'm here today to talk to you about rule number 14. A prospect who is listening is no prospect at all. You may have heard this before, but Dave Sandler told me a long time ago that you should follow the rule called 70-30 rule, where the client talks or the prospect talks 70% of the time and you, the salesperson, talk 30% of the time. Most salespeople I run into in my 30 years of doing this understand that. The problem with it is how do you go about doing it? Well, most if not all salespeople know their features and benefits and the, uh, the power of what their company can provide clients. Um, so it's easy for them to uh, explain their features and benefits to a client. The problem with that is it doesn't necessarily elicit responses from a client. So what we have to train ourselves to do to be more successful and more professional is take your features and benefits and phrase it and structure it in such a way where it actually elicits a conversational response from your client. For example, a feature and benefit of your company may, may uh, include uh, you can reduce expenses and, and save them some overhead and, and save your client some money in the uh, long term or short term. Well, a lot of people can say that. That's on your website. It's on your brochure. A more effective way is to say, hey, Ed, can I ask you a question? Uh, what we've done with companies and individuals like yourself is help save them money with some software that helps them reduce expenses, uh, get rid of waste, and adds more money to their bottom line. Uh, do you have anything like that happening here? And if so, can you tell me a little bit about it? Um, what that question does is it obviously elicits initially a yes or no response, but then it quickly goes down the tunnel of what I like calling a conversational uh, dialogue, if you will, between salesperson and client, and you find yourself talking only 30% of the time, and the client ends up talking 70% of the time. And that creates a, a more of a win-win relationship. And that's Sandler Rule number 14. A prospect who is listed is no prospect. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Troy Augustine. Uh, Troy, uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you uh, after the show or one of your people to find out more about your services or special markets, how do they do that? There's uh, two ways. You can go uh, to our website, inetinteractive.com, or feel free to uh, send me an email directly, troy at inetinteractive.com. Good. Troy, let me ask you uh, one of my favorite questions for the show. Is uh, We have a, a theory that I developed over many years in business that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. If you want to solve a complex problem, Unfortunately, you need an equally complex solution for that problem. Uh, maybe you could share with our listeners uh, a complex problem that you encountered, a complex solution that, that you devised, and maybe it will be applicable across multiple industries. Sure. I think I, I mentioned a couple times that uh, you know we're unique, although I think it's uh, the direction that many businesses are heading around having this virtual organization with uh, you know, some people uh, uh, in the headquarters, but many people working from home offices. Mm -hmm. So how do you get those people uh, scattered about the country to feel like they're part of a team, 
uh, to feel part, like they're part of a common culture. And how do you manage, uh, you know, someone who is, uh, you know, working from a home office and, and not, uh, you know, in your direct, you know, line of sight? So we've, uh, you know, done some things over the years that I think uh, have addressed that. Um, you know, in terms of managing someone who you may not directly, uh, you know, see day to day, having clear metrics in place uh, and systems to capture those metrics is is the solution that we've uh settled on you know so we've got editors who write every day we know whether that editor has posted articles uh you know to the web and and we know if those articles were quality based on uh the interaction that they're receiving in, in social media we know if our salespeople are making calls because they're logging them in salesforce we know what their pipeline looks like so so in San Luis, we call that activity uh based journaling uh, so you actually see the number of dials they make per day. That, that's correct. You yeah. see the number of contacts they've made, the number of people who said no, the number of people who said yes, the number of people who set up additional uh, telecommunications with them or uh, have set up face-to-face meetings. Right. Absolutely right. And and the mantra that we have is, you know, as an organization, and I think it's one of the reasons we've been on the best places to work list for the last couple of years is that, we don't care uh, when or where you get the job done as long as you get the job done. And, uh, you know, we've got that flexibility, but also the accountability that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's good. So you, you put systems in place and metrics to measure that are known in advance for your employees so they can be measured from remote, what used to be called telecommuting. Right. Absolutely right. So that solves the accountability issue. There's also teamwork and, and sort of cultural issue as well. How do you get people who work from a home office to feel like they're part of a broader team? And and that's a that's a tough tough problem. We've done some things uh, that I think have moved us in the right direction, but I wouldn't say we've necessarily solved it completely. Uh, we've got an intranet uh, we call uh, INET backyard that uh, sort of the water cooler, if you will where uh, people can chat. Uh, it's a little bit like uh, Twitter, if you're familiar with Twitter, Sure. where uh, it's private to the company. So people can tell you what, what's on their mind, whether it's wishing a colleague happy birthday to I'm working on XYZ, or did you see this article over on this website? And uh, that's kept the, the water cooler conversation going, even though we're in different locations. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, again, one of the things that that we've done. So that could be one-to-many or one-to-one communications. In, in this case, the way we've implemented it, it's, it's one-to-many, where you're talking within the company, not outside the company. It's, it's, it's private within the you know, four walls, virtual four walls of INET Interactive. Okay, but a sales guy, when he posts, is going to go to the editors, the uh, developers as well as the other sales guys, as opposed to just a group of sales guys? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. A wide open. Yeah, right. Interesting. Uh, have you done anything else to solve the complex problems? Do you have uh, company meetings via Skype or Uvu or something like that? Absolutely. We do a, a monthly all-hands meeting, we call it, and uh, it's uh, uh, both audio and video. So we've uh, equipped all of our conference rooms with video. Mm-hmm. as uh, uh one way to uh you know build that connection so uh we, not only do we 
hold them monthly. You know, many people, hopefully our salespeople are out in the field selling and may not be available to attend the meeting. We'll record those, post them on our intranet, and they can view them at, uh, you know, at their leisure. Okay, so your salespeople or your editors, wherever they happen to be, since about half of the people are not in home office, can partake in the conferences via listening to them on their time schedule. Right. Right. Okay. And when you do the conferences, just as a technology question, uh, how many uh, of the remote people do you bring in on video feed at the same time? In the case of our all hands, it's more of a broadcast where we're broadcasting the main conference room and uh, you know the, the folks presenting. But we um, we use a number of different technologies, Skype, GoToMeeting, and others, where you can have, I believe, it's up to six or eight video feeds at the same time. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll be frank. Everyone talks about video conferencing, you know, and and uh, there's there's somewhat of a, uh, I guess a. Uh, you know, uh, uh, an underlying understanding that this is going to be a good thing. But frankly, uh, a lot of people don't like using it. They don't like seeing themselves on camera. And, uh, you know, it's the adoption rate is, has been difficult in, in our experience. Except in corporate America where someone puts a gun to an employee's head. We were forced uh, to do so, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's been a hard technology. Once upon a time in my career, I was with... Uh, IBM, the Satellite Business Systems Division, mm-hmm. where we sold point-to-point teleconferencing systems. Everything was painful about that. <laughs> right. Getting people on camera. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and we're, you know, a fairly web-savvy uh, company, obviously, and and uh, you know the adoption rate of video is n- is not very high. And, and quality issues still prevail. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. It's still choppy, and there's a delay. Uh, our voice systems are very good, as you as you know, and and uh, that tends to be what people use. Although, being an old voice guy myself, I uh, am just driven crazy by the acceptance that the American public has had on lower quality voice communication standards to get wider availability, i.e., cell phones. Right. You know, when we do the show with someone on a cell phone, quality goes to hell in a handbasket. Right. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, the experience just isn't the same, you know, on a conference call when someone's calling in with a poor connection. We uh, we did one show with a consultant from uh, Annapolis, Maryland, and the quality of that show was much lower in terms of voice content, audio, right, than any other show. Oh, the quality was fantastic. How to do business with the federal government. Content was was a 10 out of 10. Right. Now, I will say on the, on the visual I just side, couldn't I convince the guy to get in his car from Annapolis and drive out here to Cincinnati. I can't understand <laughs> it. <laughs> we were talking about the, you know, the video aspect and, and using uh, uh, video feeds. Frankly, what we end up using uh, video feeds for uh, most of the time is to show what's on our our computer screens, whether it's looking at Salesforce and the metrics, looking at a website, looking at, uh, you know, various dashboards we have. That tends to be the video content that goes along with the the conference as opposed to uh, a camera focused on somebody's face. How long have you been using Salesforce? Oh, well, 
we, we've used Salesforce at INET since the beginning, and I used it at my last company starting in 2003, right after it came on the market. So so you're a long-time user. Long-time user, very comfortable with it. We do some things with it that are, I think, fairly unique. Mm-hmm. The dashboards are exceptionally valuable. Right. But, well, they can be exceptionally valuable. I knew some CEOs years ago who uh, kept a an old deck monitor on his desk, and he could, could manage Manage by the moment shipments. Right, we're um, not too far from that. You keep a a a, a, a dashboard on your uh, desk. I have a uh, dedicated screen in my office that flips through a number of dashboards that I monitor. Sales today. <laughs> yes, you know, and we're you know a, an internet company. We don't have products that I can go out on a plant floor and see. All I can see is the data as presented in my dashboard. So I feel a need to, to look at them often. Well, we're not in your office, but if we were, how many monitors would you have? I have three. Three? Unless you count the iPad and iPhone, so that would go to five. Okay. Uh, after the show, we'll introduce you to a fellow down the hall who's, I think, has got six on his desk. <laughs> it's impressive. Another internet company. Impressive. Uh but he completely got rid of salespeople. <laughs> yeah, salespeople zero. Everything is automated. You got, you don't order over the internet from him. He doesn't sell it to uh, you. Yeah, that's uh, even more special than, than your product. In fact, I'm twisting his arm to to come on the show, and he doesn't want to talk about it. He, he will, but he's not ready. Uh, let me ask you uh, one more question. As far as the Internet is concerned, since you're an Internet-based company, and that, that is where your media is, what improvements in the Internet with this uh, IP6 uh, do you see? Or do you think that's going to be a detriment? Well, I I don't know that it's a, an improvement or a detriment. It's just a necessity. You know, the fact is we're out of IP addresses. And uh, the only way we can create more IP addresses is to move to this new system, you know, IP6. So it, it's coming, um, and and we're going to have to adapt to it. But uh, with more and more devices on the Internet, they're taking up IP addresses, we're, we're running out. So this is kind of like uh, when the telephone company switched from five-digit phone numbers to seven-digit local phone numbers, and then again from seven to ten-digit yeah, phone numbers. Yeah, that, that's exactly what's going on. Um, and for the most part, it should be transparent to, to most uh, Internet users, the tech tech staff that has to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, does your company have six-digit uh, IP6 uh, addresses yet? Uh, I'm embarrassed to say that we have not migrated to that yet. Okay, we haven't either. <laughs> I'm going to be one of the last holdouts. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'd rather work on different changes. Let's take a... Uh, Another short commercial break, and there is time for uh, anyone to call in and ask uh, Troy a question. Again, the number is 646-595-4916. Let's uh, listen to a Sandler commercial. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. 
we recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. Finding power in reinforcement. Why do some business owners make lots of money while others endure years of mediocrity? Is it really the economy, the market, the weather, the competition? No. These are all called excuses which are always plentiful. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. As a business owner or part of a team, are you accepting excuses from your sales team because you make them yourself? Business winners succeed in spite of this trash. Business winners invest in themselves and their people. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing your sales, call me at 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Troy Augustine from uh, INET Interactive. Troy, what do you see in the future as an Internet company, Internet Specialty company, right? A special interest media company on the internet. I think that uh, you know, there, there's lots of things that are changing rapidly in this in this business. Um, the ways that we can help our advertisers target clients, uh, target the audience, is changing rapidly. Uh, you know, it used to be that you just put a, a, a banner advertisement on a website and you, you hope for the best. Uh, now you, you can start to target that advertisement to, well, we for a long time have been able to target to geographies, but you can start to target to, to uh, demographic characteristics, uh, to uh, uh, psychographic characteristics, to uh, to income and other factors. So, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of technology that's developing rapidly that, frankly, is pushing some barriers as it relates to privacy but you can certainly target your audience very crisply now on the Internet versus where we started, you know, uh, 6, 10, 15 years ago. So in, in looking at your business, your customer would be an advertising agency. That's right. An agency or, or often we're dealing direct with a client selling a particular service to our audience. Right. Uh, in the audiences that you serve, uh, are you working in that niche, more or less, without competition? Uh, I wouldn't say that at all. Uh, we uh, tend to uh, have, as part of our portfolio, the largest or second largest site within a niche. But uh, there are other ways to reach those audiences on the Internet, and we're not the only way. Uh, but um, well, we're certainly competing against people, people like Google, where you can use uh, Google to place ads uh, in the, their search results pages and things of that nature. But isn't Google uh, much more generalized? It, it is and it isn't. I mean, they cover every corner of the economy, if you will. Uh, if there's a topic out there, you can search for it and find something. And, sure. and usually you'll see ads on the side of the uh, of the page. Sure, or the pay-per-click ads or the absolutely. paid advertising for the term. <clears throat> absolutely. That's, uh, that's their mainstream business. And, 
And within the niches where we're we're playing, they're, they're, they also, of course, get search traffic as well. So we've got clients who, uh, I would venture to guess, most of our clients spend some money with Google, some money with us. And, and do you spend money with Google? A little bit, not much. Uh, we drive, you know, on the audience side of the coin that we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, uh, you know, the techniques that we use to drive traffic to our website include search engine optimization, which doesn't involve spending money with Google, but it means spending money with experts who know how to do that. You don't do that in so- in-house? We do it in-house. That's okay. right. That's right. Um, and we pay them. Um, the uh, well, Those are salaried people. Yeah, salaried people. That's right. Unless you can figure out a way to pay them on incentive-based. Uh, which can't be done. Uh, and then there's uh, social media channel, channels, fa- Facebook, Twitter, and so forth. Um, rarely do we actually pay for, for traffic. The economics usually don't work out too well. Well, but see your, your niche nature of your marketplace. Right. Absolutely. You know, if we put the best content out there about a specific topic, that generally drives traffic and the rest takes care of itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, at, your company's been a rapidly growing company. Where are you finding your your best new employees, and how are you finding? Them? Yeah, I mean that that is a uh, that's a challenge. Um, Other CEOs have uh, have told me that uh, there was one in particular who uh, wanted to remain nameless that they couldn't find the talent that they were looking for here in the Cincinnati marketplace, and they were faced with importing people to Cincinnati from other areas of the United States. Right. That's not happening to you, is it? Well, I mean, it is a challenge to find people in, in the uh, sort of niche areas that we that we work. So we need editors who understand these niche topics. We need technical folks who understand search engine optimization, web development, and so forth. And uh, they're tough to find, not just in Cincinnati, but, but globally. It's, uh, it's certainly one area of the economy where the unemployment rate is is pretty low, um, you know we have the advantage of uh, this virtual organization that we talked about. So we generally will will recruit from the Cincinnati market first, but if we can't find the talent we're looking for in the Cincinnati market, we'll open it up. You know our second choice is usually someone near a satellite office, and then you know we'll we'll then move to to open it up to wherever they happen to live if that particular position is. Uh, is uh, appropriate for that virtual employee. So it really doesn't matter where they live, but you don't have to move them to Cincinnati. That's correct. I mean, there are some roles that need to be in our headquarters. You know, if you're, uh, uh, you know, responsible for maintaining our PCs, we need somebody who's physically there to maintain them. But uh, for the most part, our uh, our jobs are are be done from a home office, and we'll recruit. Uh, from wherever they happen to live. What's the hardest job you have now that you, you're you're continuously recruiting for? Oh, let's see. We just uh, we just filled a couple. Um, I think any we just filled a, a role for uh, DevOps, which is a, a technical term. Uh, you know, it's the person who runs the servers that make our websites work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we recruited for that position for over six months. Uh, fortunately, found a great candidate who lived in Houston who uh decided to relocate to uh to Westchester but that's uh that's a tough position to fill. Mhm. The salespeople are tough to fill as well. I was just reading an article uh that said uh 
that uh, good salespeople are one of the hardest positions to fill right now. Uh, it's true. What's happened in the taking a minute in the past few years is that companies got rid of their C players and then started whittling away at the B players. And when you go to recruit a salesperson, you're going to get a lot of resumes from the C and B players who you don't really want to bring on to your team. The A players who are unhappy where they are, the boss said, hey, you know, to make the same money you made last year, you got to sell twice as much. Right. But at least you got a job. Right. And the smart A player uh, doesn't go out and quit, doesn't put his resume or her resume out on monster.com. They let other people know, like me, that they're looking for something new. When I stumble across to connect them to it, uh, we actually work with, with our clients extremely heavily on profile uh, salespeople, but we don't profile them until we get them through uh, two or three levels uh, to make sure that we are investing in high-quality candidates, any one of which should pass the profiles. Uh, in fact, we, we take the op, the strange philosophy that instead of allowing a client to hire someone who should succeed, only allow them to hire people who will succeed. Uh as, proven, as proven by their skills, their aptitudes, their their habits, uh, their ability to reason uh, from the past. Uh, there are lots of great salespeople out there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are millions of only so-so salespeople. <laughs> right. And uh, Sandler's moved uh, one step further this, towards the uh, uh, goal of making it easier for employers like you, uh, Troy, by rolling out uh, later this year a Sandler certification program, which is going to be a really seri- serious set of uh, standardized file tests based on sales skills. So if someone has sat through a Sandler class, that's not certified. But there'll be at least three levels, silver, bronze, and gold, and there'll be certifications on the sales management side, which is a different skill set than sales. So that if someone has a uh, silver uh, sandal certification, you know this guy is or lady has really good skills. Mm-hmm. Gold people, they'll be worth more. Uh, there were very few, very few. We, uh, we've had a, a black belt program here in Cincinnati for sales for the last few years. And, Less than 10% of our clients opt themselves into the more rigorous black belt uh, version. Hmm. And many sales jobs, you don't need to have that. Right. Uh, I think that makes sense. I could, I could see a lot of value in that. The, uh, the idea of benchmarking uh, candidates for a job is something that we, we, we do and, and take seriously. We found certain profiles for different positions within the company work well, and, and that's one of the considerations that we use when evaluating candidates. How well are they going to fit? Right. We just uh, finished a a project up in Columbus uh, for a client where we were matching the prospective salesperson's behavioral styles, personality, skills to the sales manager. 
because they came out of different industries, different backgrounds. And good sales guy, great sales manager. But the sales manager needed a little bit of training and coaching on how to keep this high-producing salesperson. Because if, they, if he continued along his normal road, they would have parted company in three to six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would have been a surprise to the sales manager, why did Joe quit? I didn't cut his commission plan. Right. So uh, any last ideas, uh, Troy, that you want to give our audience members? No, I, I appreciate you having me on the show. I enjoyed talking with you, and, and hopefully uh, I put a few nuggets of information out there that, that people will find of value. Troy, I'm going to be giving you a copy of the latest Sandler book, The Eleven Sandler uh, Principles. That's the corollary to uh, last year's book, The Set 49 Sandler Rules. As an engineer, you probably learn to love things. Learn to love, learn via rules, and you love to, that way to do it. That book has made uh, the Amazon bestsellers as number one and the Wall Street Journal bestseller. It was released uh, April 29th, and I uh, hope you enjoy reading it. Uh, and, uh, again, why don't you tell folks how they can get a hold of you, Troy? Yeah, you can uh, visit our website at inetinteractive.com or feel free to send me an email, troy at inetinteractive.com. Good. Scott, uh, why don't you uh, take it away? Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.